This is Charity Prado and I'm Allison Callow. And we are She Catalyst, empowering you to create more social impact in your business and life. Stay tuned as we interview powerful women leaders who are changing the world and share inspiring wisdom and advice for other women just like you. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. Happy 2020. I'm so excited because in this month's episode, we're going to be having Terry Mead. Terry Mead is an angel investor, entrepreneur, and author of the new book, Piloting Your Life. As she shares about her journey in life, and it's going to help you start you off on the right path for this year and this new season. This lady is ballsy and bold, and she's not afraid to be who she is. So just wanted to welcome you, Terry, to the podcast. Thank, uh, thank you, you so me. much. I, th- I think I actually need to update my bio because I just yesterday changed my investing thesis. Wow, you did. Tell me all about it. I was sent a pitch deck yesterday, and it was like, click. It just clicked into place that the work, the, what I want to invest in is everything around um, moving and advancing women in general. So this will encompass health-related stuff. This will encompass productivity. This will encompass consumer products. But it really, I really want it to be about all things for women, but really the advancement of women. And I hate to use the word empower, but I really want us as a society to be really... Um, really take advantage and see the power of women and what we bring to the world. And so that's really what I'm going to start focusing on. I may end up doing some stuff around kids only because when it comes to kids related stuff, that all impacts women in terms of availability of time um, and what women can focus on. We can go into detail on that if you'd like. I really want it to be about Um, really advancing and taking advantage of the power of women. That's so amazing to hear. And women need so much more of the on the investment side. So it's great to hear that you actually are building your whole thesis around that. And um, that's going to be really exciting to see. So tell me a little bit about the companies or that you've invested in the past and what maybe your thesis was previously and how you how you got to where you were in the um, deciding on how you wanted to invest? So it was a little over four years ago that I started angel investing and the I became an angel investor because I got tired of bumping into the arrogance of science within um, primarily biotech companies, which I'd been working in and worth for about 20 years. And I'm in IT in life sciences, and there's really a lack of appreciation for technology within biotech, med device, and diagnostic companies. So living in the Silicon Valley, um, I asked a buddy, and he said, well, why don't you start angel investing? And I thought, well, that'd be a, once I figured out that I could actually do it, I thought, well, that would be a great way for me to see what the latest technology is, see what's going on, and maybe figure out what my next step was. But I said to myself, I'm not investing in life sciences or health-related companies because that's where all of my, um, I didn't want to have all my eggs in one basket. And that's where my consulting came from. And I was really incredibly naive because what I quickly found out is that you invest in what you know. So my very first investment was a company called My Health Teams, and it was a digital health company. 
My second company was Sandstone Diagnostic, and it was essentially a medical device, uh, digital health solution to help um, men understand what their sperm count was in order to help with couples who are having trouble with fertility. And then my third investment was Zoom, which is Z-U-M, which is on-demand and scheduled rides and care for kids five and up. And by this time, I'd been investing for about five months, and I realized that my thesis was investing in startups that had products and services that improved people's lives. Um, my next investment after that was Tomboy X, which was my one and only direct-to-consumer apparel company. But I absolutely loved what the founders, it was a lesbian couple over the age of 50 out of Seattle with no previous founder experience, but they were targeting a market, initially um, a lesbian market, women who were going to go buy essentially their underwear in the men's department and they weren't designed for their bodies. And then they quickly realized that there was a big opportunity in the plus size market and then really tapped into redefining the definition of beauty. And I saw that this was a win-win for um, populations that were underserved from, um, from a, an apparel perspective. And I also saw it as an opportunity to redefine the definition of beauty, which really benefits women, girls, and, um, you know, it really, it, it impacts, positively impacts all of us in society, especially if you don't fit the traditional norm or expectations or what social media and the society expects from you. So that pretty much sealed it that, that, um, I really was looking a little outside of what my investing group, I was investing with Sandhill Angels, was looking for. But then um, I continued to refine it and started focusing on digital health uh, for women and children. And so I've invested in a company called Astarte Medical, which has um, digitized the feeding protocol for babies in the NICU to help them thrive faster they're also focusing on the gut biome, and so they can personalize and tailor feeding for babies in the NICU to get them out faster. And what I love about this isn't just about the impact on the babies, but I love that if you can get the babies out of the NICU faster, then that means that the moms have less negative impact on their lives. They can get to, you know, basically parenting outside of the NICU and you know, maybe start getting a little bit more sleep, you know, with maybe the baby at home faster. Um, and especially, and the other thing is, is that if you take care of some of the earlier health issues for some of these babies, then you can potentially alleviate or avoid some of the long-term health care issues for premature babies that end up impacting women's abilities to work, do things outside the home, um, so once again, this, this was all about impact on not just the babies, but on the moms. And there was another investment that I made into a company called Tuio Health, which um, uses a passive bed monitoring to um, get ahead of asthmatic um, exasper exacerbations. So you could know a couple of days in advance if you needed to uh, adjust a medication or something else was going on to keep the baby, to keep the kids out of the emergency room. Because we know that moms are the ones who are primarily responsible when kids are up at night, kids are sick, and then this impacts their ability to focus on their careers and really reduces the, I think, long-term um, earnings potential for um, for women. Um, so that seems that's become like the common denominator is um, what what can I invest in that can really have 
a significant, a positive impact on women's lives so that we really can claim our power um, in society, in the economy, in politics, uh, pretty much everywhere. Yeah, and that's so great to hear because I know for so many women, um, a lot of them that do want to create, let's say, social impact, and they just don't have the funding sometimes, right? And you're able to help them create exponential impact that they wouldn't have been able to do, you know, without those resources. So um, where where do you go to impact investing conferences or anything like that? Is there a place that you would recommend for those that are in similar spaces and want to find funding with other investors that have a like-minded value set? So I don't see myself as an impact investor. So I would, um, I don't actively seek out anything that's called impact investing. Uh, A couple of years ago, I was at Jason Calacanis' Angel Summit, and I think it was Chantel Polson talked about, um, you know, asked us about impact. And the thing is, is we all have impact as investors. Some, some's more positive than negative and some are more negative than positive. So to put me in a, you know, a social impact investing bucket, it's not, it's not really how I see myself. I also, uh, one of the other things I think she put up at that same time is she put down kind of a spectrum or on one end was philanthropy on the other end was ROI at all costs. And, for a lot of us, we have philanthropy um, uh, dollars that we allocate out of our uh, out of our wealth or our budget, and so we donate money uh, in a ph- philanthropic way. And then on the other end of that spectrum is our you know our investing dollars. Now, I do not believe in investing um, with ROI at all costs, which means I don't. I do take into account the impact on people. I take the impact uh, consideration on the impact on the environment. I take consideration on a number of different things that align with my values. So I think that um, I'm an investor who thinks you can do well and you can do good at the same time. And like, there are a lot of, I would say, um, male investors out there, those who may have invested in Uber or WeWork or some of these that, um, you know, we won't even get into the unit economics of some of these, but um, who would sacrifice a lot of things, whether it's our um, our environment or uh, people in terms of sexism, uh, discrimination of underrepresented um, members of our society. And I just I don't believe in that. I think that's I think it's uh, it's very short sighted. I don't believe money is worth everything above above everything else. So I don't go to any sort of um, conferences like that. Um, People saw that I was also an advocate for women. I ended up getting a lot of um, decks and introductions to women, um, which at one point it was incredibly overwhelming. And um, as the vice president responsible for deal sourcing at Sandhill Angels in the last part of the time that I was there, I've not been investing with them for the last two years. I was seeing on average somewhere between 500 and 750 deals. And just when you touch that much and you go to that many events, you just become, um, you just kind of become known and then people start sending you stuff. I understand there's different types of uh, buckets and a long spectrum of how different investors evaluate what works for them and their values. And, and I, I really like that you 
you stay true to what you believe in and that, you know, as you said, money isn't the end all. There are other factors to consider. It's not all just get rich, but there's some other um these other components that we really have to think on. And so I do want to ask you, you know, you mentioned, you know, your work with those organizations as you were, you know, kind of getting started or um, working through your initial years in investing. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about your journey in investing. And um, I know that uh, primarily many investment groups are tend to be very male dominated. And uh, I myself had worked for a, a VC before in the past and, you know, I'm familiar with um, how women in the investment seem. It's a very empowering place to be because there's honestly so few in comparison. So I want to hear more about, about your journey with that. So my buddy Stu introduced me into Sandhill Angels when I uh, decided to take the leap into investing. And um, I was hooked on the whole concept of uh, looking at looking at companies and considering investing and playing with them in terms of helping them uh, succeed. And I didn't look at any other investor groups. When I, um, and the story that I'm about to tell is important and it actually rubs a lot of people within Sandhill the, the wrong way. But I met with a membership guy who was an old white guy like my dad, who, um, you know, tried to talk me out of it, basically said it's risky and you could lose money. And I'm like, you know what? I've allocated a certain amount. I'm going to do this for two years. I know the minimum amount I had to invest every year was 25 grand with, um, Sandhill, which really wasn't a hook of a lot. And then, you know, with admin fees and everything else, it was going to be $55,000 over two years. And I thought I can throw this away. And the, um, I, when I say throw it away, that sounds a little flippant, but what I saw it was as a real life PhD and I saw it as an opportunity. And I thought, you know, I already have an MBA, um, you know, rather than doing a PhD theoretical program, this will be my real life PG, PhD and I'll learn about angel investing. I'll learn how to invest. I'll see what's out there. And once again, figure out what my next step is. So it wasn't just a matter of throwing it away. It was if I invested it in something and then didn't get a return on it, my return was in the knowledge that I gained from the experience. So when I submitted my application, that same old white guy said, I don't think the board's going to approve your application. And I was like, why? And he said, you don't fit the profile. And I didn't have the wherewithal to push back on that. And so when um, they approved my application, I assumed that they had made an exception. And it didn't occur to me because I, um, I didn't appreciate my value and what I brought to the table at that time. I now appreciate it. It took a couple of years, but I now appreciate it. Um, it's sad to say that at 49 years old, I finally appreciate my value. But, you know, sometimes some of us take longer to get there than others. So in September of 2015, I jumped right in and I tried to learn as much as I could and go to as many things as possible. And month one, I saw um, my health teams and I didn't know that generally you're, you're supposed to look at deals for like a year before you start investing or that's some people's rule of thumb. And I was like, oh, this needs to exist. I want into this. And then like month two, when I saw um, Sandstone Diagnostic, I thought, oh, this is this would be great. Month two, I invested. I look back and I am so incredibly you know, proud of myself and grateful for having those opportunities because within five months, I had five companies in my portfolio. 
And though that's important because I gained experience, just like um, we were talking earlier about doing a podcast, you really only learn by doing. Investing is another one of those things that until you do it, um, you don't know what you don't know. And it's something that's it builds. My experience within Sandhill Angels was um, torturous at best. Um, I am, I am a strong personality. I came in thinking that I had to prove myself. And there were some people in that group who did not want any sort of disruption happening and saw that I was threatening their status quo. And, um, none of that. And it was both men and women in that particular group. And I didn't understand it because I thought, well, if we, if we all support each other to invest and we, we get great investments and great returns, then Sandhill, we all benefit because then Sandhill gets a better reputation. We get great, better deal sourcing. You know, we get better deal opportunities. Then we can invest in those deals and then we can make more money. And since all of us invested individually, you know, like if I decided to throw 10 or 15,000 into something and somebody else threw in five and somebody threw out threw in 50, we would be investing as Sandhill Angels, but we all got to pick and choose what we invested in and how much we wanted to invest. So I didn't understand any sort of competition or um, any challenge to, you know, collaborating and trying to have us all succeed. And that, um, that culture was very uncomfortable for me. I was on the board within a year. And, you know, even in the very first meeting, there were some board members who just threw up obstacles. I'm like, I don't, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. So after two years, I said, I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I realized what my value was within a year and a half. Um, I was asking questions of founders and, and I was providing advice, um, to founders, uh, in ways that they weren't getting from everybody else. And, you know, this, this goes to, and I'm going to use VC statistics because I don't have the angel investor statistics, but 92% of the VCs are male and 47% of them come from Harvard and Stanford. Um, there's a lot of groupthink. There's a lot of there are a lot of people thinking the same way because they've all been trained to think and execute in a certain way. And then of course you've got a bunch of lemmings and followers. I'm I'm a terrible follower. And so um I was able to look at things based on my my background, my experience, my perspective as a woman. And all of those things were, which I thought were negatives that made it that I had to prove that I belonged in the room. They were actually super positive and they added tremendous value to the, the founders or even to some of the other investors because they're like, God, I hadn't even thought about that because it wouldn't occur to them to look at something some way. But it took me a solid year and a half and it was, there were some abusive times in there. My executive coach, I didn't work with at the time. And later she said, it just made her want to cry about what some of the stuff that I put up with, because I didn't see that I was bringing value and I didn't see what my value was. So fortunately, two years ago, I was like, okay, I'm done. And so I've been investing on my own. Um, and I, I, ha I am extremely grateful because it was an incredibly good training ground. I learned a ton. I did get access to great um, deals. I have... At this point, I think I've got 15 companies in my portfolio. Over 90% of them have women founders or women leaders. And it's not because I choose that. It's just because a lot of what ends up in my funnel that 
um, it's, it's what ends up in my funnel. So I try to get underrepresented founders, including women founders in my funnel. And I also tend to have more um, value alignment with the startups that are led by more diverse founding teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's really powerful. I I, I want to go back to your um, earlier, what you mentioned about, you know, going through that really tough season and afterwards you coming out of it that much stronger and that much more equipped for this next phase. And, um, you know, especially knowing your value. And so, you know, I know a lot of women founders and uh, women who want to create change, they, they, they tend to be, um, start to question themselves and need validation to, to think that they need that validation to be enough. Um, and so, you know, I like, I just want to hear from you, you know, you've had a long journey in just kind of exploring who you are and kind of, if you could share a little bit more about how you, how you came to grips with that value. So the long journey, in other words, you know, I'm 49 years old. It's been, it's been a while. I'm old. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, you know, it's it, your your comments about women who create change look for external validation, I think is so spot on. It was only in the last, I want to say two months that um, I realized it was two to four months. And I don't know if it was writing the book, piloting your life, doing the research and then moving through that. I don't know if it was meeting a woman named um, Dr. Pamela Jolly at an event um, that Jenny Casson put on a couple months ago. I don't know if it's, I've picked back up working with my executive coach. And so having her essentially in, um, as an ally in a, in a place where there are a lot of people trying to tear you down on a regular basis. I, I don't know what it is that has gotten me to the point where I'm not looking for the external validation. I'm able to focus on my vision and focus on doing the hard work knowing that even though I may not be able to see that impact, I know that there is positive impact because um, I really feel strongly about the work that I'm doing. That this is So when I was 48, so a year and a half ago, I just decided that I wanted to, um, I did a typical midlife thing, which now I understand because of the research I did for my book. But um, I was looking for greater purpose and meaning, and I had lost sight of what I wanted to do with my life, who I wanted to be. Um, I hadn't really thought of the term legacy, but you know, I, I'm terrible with the labeling things, but I really wanted to, to really start defining my legacy and realize that I want to live in a world where everyone has the opportunity to live equally, freely, and have an extraordinary life, assuming they choose to do so, of course. Um, but I'm just tired of other people oppressing and squashing just out of, you know, fear and, you know, scarcity mindset. And so I created three North Star goals out of that. One of them was to uh, leverage data and technology to flip healthcare on its head. Second one was to start moving the needle and leveling the playing field. And I'm not just talking for women and I'm not just talking for white women. I want it to be for all women, um, identify, you know, whether you're self-identified or that's how you were born. I want it to be for LGBTQ plus, and I want it to be for other underrepresented brown, black, otherwise. I want, you know, to move, to level the, the, move the needle and leveling the playing field. And then the third thing is to not raise asshole kids. 
So um, <laughs> usually, usually people laugh at that one. I think we're doing okay on that one. And with the change in my investing thesis, I'm actually going to have to go back and take a look at leveraging the data and technology to flip healthcare on its head because um, I'm not sure that I'm going to, as a non-healthcare provider, somebody who's not attached to a big company, um, I'm not sure that I'm going to, I don't think I can have the impact that I want on that. So I'm going to have to come up with a new North Star goal. But I, I just, I feel a lot more confident in knowing that I want what I want in terms of a vision so that when I decide on what I want to do and how I want to do it in, you know, executing against it, I can continually check in and make sure that it's in, that whatever I'm doing is in alignment with my vision and my North Star goals. And I think going through the process of writing the book and you know, I learned so much. I, I, um, I think I even put it into the intro of the book, how I was surprised at what, uh, it, what a growth opportunity it was for me. And, you know, it might be laughable, but I didn't expect to go through, um, any sort of massive transformation as I was writing the book, um, to embolden women over the age of 40 to take the controls and be the pilots in their own lives. And, um, it was, it was really transformational and I've had to change how I see myself in the world. And I've had to um, really claim who I am in the world. And I think this is one of the luxuries of being in midlife and approaching 50. Um, we just are so unwilling to put up with crap anymore. And, um, you know, I have half my life left to live and I want it to matter. And um, I wish I'd known this a long time ago. But I'm very grateful that I I'm where I'm at right now, and it doesn't mean that there aren't days that I'm wobbly and I you know I question my value and I worry about something that I said. I just I feel like I'm just on more solid ground than I've ever been before. At the same time, I am having to work on setting boundaries, making sure that I understand that the work that I'm doing to really change the world and make it better for all people. Um, you know, but specifically for women, that um, the work that I'm doing matters. I may not see the results immediately. I may not get any sort of appreciation or acknowledgement, but that's okay because I know that I'm doing the right thing and I'm having to say no to certain things because I can't be all things to all people. And as a people pleaser, that's that's hard. Um, but that's one of the things I'm working on is just adding greater ease into my life. That's going to be like my word for at least the month, if not the quarter. Um, and part of that is going to be around getting more comfortable saying no to the things that don't really align with what I'm trying to accomplish, knowing that it may disappoint some people, but, um, you know, I can't, I can't, I, I need to make sure that by saying no to the things that aren't right for me, that I leave room for the things that are right for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You couldn't have said it better. I know, um, even with myself and so many other women I know that are are very focused on creating value in the world um, in a sustainable way, tend to tend to be that kind of person that has a problem saying no and has a problem with boundaries. So, you know, I've myself have had to work on those things. I read books on it. I've learned to say no. It's been an awesome and empowering experience. Um, instead of running all around, getting burnt out. And actually, when you're burnt out, you're not able to nourish the things that you need to nourish in life. Um, and then you're 
actually less effective. So um, I think that that's brilliant that you're doing that. And it's for us to learn. So we don't, so we don't have to wait another 10 years to, to come into our power and to learn boundaries and to learn these life lessons. Um, because, you know, there's, there's wonderful people like you who are helping pave the way for us. So thank you for that. My book was written for Gen Xers because, you know, we're the forgotten ones. Um, I'm finding that the book is resonating with women between the ages of 21 and 85 because the message I keep getting is that the book gives women permission to design and live a life of their own creation. So if there's, um, I guess one thing, it's like, give your, give yourself permission to choose you, to choose what you want. And this takes into account, you know, not, I mean, not going totally anarchist and being totally and completely selfish, but to, um, to not put yourself last, to know that your needs are important and not wait until you're 45, 46, 47 and going, what the hell happened to my life? Um, I put everybody else first. I'm angry. I'm resentful. And, you know, uh, and go now what, you know, and have, I see midlife as an opportunity, not a crisis. Um, so just give yourself permission to be where you are, uh, and let go of the guilt. Guilt gets you, gets you nowhere. Everybody has their, their own choices and should be respected for the, for those choices. So I did want to ask you a couple more questions. So what would you say in general your superpower is? Oh, my superpower is connecting. Um, I connect people. I connect ideas. I connect ideas and people. Um, it's it's something I, I cannot not do. Mm -hmm. And when did you discover that this was your superpower? Ooh, um, I think I put a label on it um, about probably about four years ago, I might've put a label on it three or four years ago. I even ended up doing, um, I spoke on my superpower of connecting at a conference, a women's conference. Um, I've always been an Uber networker. Um, my dad, um, had a CPA firm when I was growing up and I worked for him from a very early age and he would take me to, um, events in Hayward where he was part of the trade club and he was part of the chamber of commerce and, um, and he would take me and then I would meet people. And I learned very early on that I, you know, could go up and pretty much talk to anybody and find something to connect on. And um, it was just so networking has never been a problem for me because I naturally look for ways to connect with other people. And I find it very frustrating when I, I can't like I'll come at it from one direction and if somebody doesn't respond, then I'll come at it another and then another because I'm like, oh, there is something we can connect. <laughs> and that's the thing. I'm generally insanely curious about other people, how people people think. Um, I am a logistics person, so I wonder I want to understand how people operate. And so that's what makes it super easy to connect with people. And then the connecting with ideas, you throw a bunch of stuff at me and I will I will pull it together and I will create something um, out of it. So that's where the connecting is. So in terms of my hobbies, um, well, I mean, one of my hobbies is flying helicopters, um, commercially rated helicopter pilots. So one of the other things that um, is I love to cook. And so my son, Ray, and so Ray and I um, love to cook. We love all things French. 
And we both like to write and take pictures. And so we've started um, a blog called uh, Time and Champagne, T-H-Y-M-E and Champagne, because I'm all about champagne. <laughs> yeah. And we are French cooking a couple couple nights a week and we're taking pictures and we're blogging about it. And um, Ray and I are having a really good time with that. And uh, in order to work off some of the butter that we consume, uh, I do play I do play tennis and uh, like to play singles competitively here in the Bay Area. Oh, that's so those awesome. Are, those are great hobbies. I'm very jealous. It's fun. It's exciting. I love being 49 and doing all these things for the very first time. It's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's incredible to hear how you kind of just were like, you went for it and it kind of kept um, turning into this elongated adventure that's taking you far and wide with so many, so many different things. And so I, I just want to say that it's, it's great. A lot of people don't realize that they have a story in them and that they have something to share with the world um, and, you know, stay quiet. And by you being vulnerable, opening up and just being authentic with your experiences and sharing other women's experiences, I, I know like that's that's such a powerful thing for somebody to do. And so I'm glad, you know, you've been able to, you know, be able to affect that many of your readers and, and people out there who just really resonate with with your stories. And I have absolutely no idea where this is going. And that's the thing because people are like, what do you want to do with this? And I'm like, I have no idea. And I am, I am, you know, as my executive coach says, stay in the process. I'm staying in the process. I'm doing the work and I'm seeing, I'm seeing how the path presents itself mm -hmm. and I'm a total opportunist. So when, when I, I'll know it when I see it. And I worked with a, a life coach a couple of years ago to, um, get back in touch with my intuition because I'd adapted and accommodated to um, be in a man's world and had lost sight of the value of being a woman in the world. And um, I'm trusting that my, and this is woo-woo. And for those of you who are not woo-woo, you know, um, I'm not terribly woo-woo, but there are some things that I have, I've learned to appreciate so, but when I feel it in my body and I feel it in my gut that something's the right thing to do, um, I'm I'm going to go for it. And this is where, you know, both of those quotes go out on the limb. That's where the fruit is and do one thing every day that scares you. Combining the two together and following that, um, even if I totally screw up, I can at least learn something from it. And um, I, I can always take that knowledge and that experience and apply it to whatever I do next. And, and that is one of the things that's, that's kind of gone away is fear of the failure. And, um, maybe that would be a better thing is give yourself permission to, you know, live your life. And at the same time, don't be afraid, make F, make the word failure be your second favorite F word. Mm -hmm. And I, I love what you were saying about, you know, the, path kind of presents itself and you know it when you see it that that listening internally uh it's so critical so many times we're doing things because we think this is what i'm supposed to do as opposed to really listening to what's inside of us like what what's really calling you i know for me i um you know i was working in corporate and i was just you know doing doing that whole lifestyle and then you know i just decided i was so depressed and that wasn't what i wanted to do and i i quit my job and i i moved and i lived in a village in africa and you know helped 
I didn't know what I was doing. And I just, you know, started eventually doing these programs to help women and youth. And it was just, it, it helped me discover these things that I didn't know about myself that I needed to find out. And it's really helped shape me in the direction I've wanted to go. And I think like what you were saying about with the book, you just started going down that path and you don't know where it's going to take you, but it's, it's going to take you where you need to go. And um, you're going to know wh which way to turn, which way to, you know, which way is guiding you just by just by listening to your your inner t intuition. And I know for, for me, I'm all woo woo. So I'm totally cool. With woo -woo, but, um, <laughs> so um, and I think a lot of people should be, you know, like listening to their the, the, them because so many times, yeah, we quiet that voice that is who we are because we're we're so inundated with you know what what's going on with the world you know our work our job our family like whatever and you just forget about who you like what do you want i know uh, this is just a funny story but when i was um i went to this personal development workshop and they they were like asking me and like they were kind of yelling at me they were like what do you want and it was so funny because i didn't know what i wanted i realized that i I couldn't say anything. And then all of a sudden it hit me. It's because I thought that what I wanted, I wasn't good enough to have. And so I wouldn't mm. say it out loud. And then finally, when I said it out loud, I started crying. I was like, I've never said these things out loud because who am I to want these things? You know, what kind of like, is this like wrong, you know? And so it was like a really deep experience. So I think a lot of women need to really sit down because you might not know there's so much hidden underneath that you've suppressed and you are every bit as entitled to living the life that you want to live and that you have purpose in that. And so I'm, I'm so happy that I was able to talk with you and hear from you you just, you know, how you've been able to guide and navigate your life. And so many women um, need that need to start doing that. So, okay, I want I just want to say thank you, because you just said something that made me think that me saying the path will present itself, I'll figure it out. You know, I don't know where this is going. I wonder if um, there is something deep down in me, and now I'm gonna have to do some work on this, that I do want, but I'm afraid of wanting because if I don't if I say it, it's like, do I deserve it? Mm -hmm. You know, who am I to say this? Just like you said. And um, the other thing, I mean, there is a certain amount of, um, I still have some level of fear of failure and I'm very goal oriented. So to put something out there into the world means that I'm putting it on my list of things to do. And that's a, that's a mind shift and a paradigm shift that I'm still working on that it's okay to put something out there and not achieve it. But by putting it out there, it at least opens up other possibilities. So um, I'm feeling like I was that my answer about the path presenting itself and doing the work that there's there's and, and waiting for whatever it is to to show up. But at the same time, I think I need to do some work to dig to allow myself to be a little bit more vulnerable around that and go, what do I really want? You know, if uh, if failure wasn't an option, and I think this is a, this is another one is like, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? That's my other third third mm -hmm. one. And I think I'm going to have to put that one up in front of me and really work on that to see what I can do. Because I really do believe that this book is not, it's not just a book, it's a movement. Mm -hmm. And I think we can really catalyze so much in the way of, um, I'm targeting midlife women, our lives are not over, we have tons of experience. And I don't really care that 
anymore about um, others dismissing and overlooking us. I want us to claim our power. And I, um, the other, the, the other thing, um, and I, I don't want to forget to mention, uh, I want every woman every day to do one thing for one other woman. And I'm calling it the hashtag lift, not drag challenge. And I'm putting ideas out on Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and, uh, Instagram and LinkedIn every day. Uh, today's was to send, take the time to send a text to a woman that, you know, and let her know you're thinking about her. Um, and uh, one of them this month is going to be about um, send an email to a woman and let her know how you see her in the world and the impact that you, she has had on you. Because so far too often, we just don't tell each other this. So um, so what's I see that all of these things are starting to come together in terms of my, my advocacy for women, my desire for us to claim our power individually and collectively. Um, and just, there's something there. I just don't know what it is. And I wonder if I'm, I'm afraid of putting something big out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause it's like, who am I, who am I to be the one to do this? Why me? Mm-hmm. And I need to, I need to do, I need to pull kind of a male thing and go, but what, why not me? Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You, your thing, I'm sure it's going to be huge because of what you're just talking about the movement, um, all of these, um, ways that women reaching out to each other and and uplifting them it's it's huge that's a huge thing and that's a big deal and um i know even with with my women's group she catalysts we the whole idea is being able to support each other know why we're all in this together and we should be there for each other and it's really an empowering thing to important that people realize that and so I just wanted to say that uh, I really appreciated you making the special time to share with us everything that you did I think there's a lot of great insights and and lessons and um, you know just just perspective that uh, really it's been very helpful to hear from and I'm sure a lot of women will will benefit from that and so your websites are t- terryhensonmead.com and pilotingyourlife.com so um and you said people are welcome to reach out to you on twitter and instagram yeah absolutely so twitter i've got terry hansen mead um i've also got piloting life and instagram um it's piloting your life and um terry hansen mead and on linkedin i'm terry i think i'm I think I'm Terry Hansen Mead on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. If not, I'm just Terry Mead. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's 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 hard to not find me on social media these days. Um, there's going to be a lot of stuff going out every day to encourage women to support other women. Well, that is so awesome and amazing. And so I'll look out for you on social media and everyone else should too. Uh, thanks so much, Terry. I really appreciate it. So we'll talk soon, okay? Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure and keep uh, keep doing the work that you're doing. It's absolutely critical and truly valued. Also, exciting news. We actually just launched our She Catalyst beta online learning platform. And so, you know, for the past year, we've been developing this to help empower women to create change. And that's through online learning, through mentors and crowdfunding and various resources. So if you're not on the waitlist, please sign up. We actually just kicked off our first group coaching course for the year, the Brainstorm Ideating for Change. And so we're really excited to help more and more women step into their passion and their purpose as we work together to spark more impact. 
So if you're an aspiring or current entrepreneur or leader that wants to make a social impact, please join our community. We have a supportive sisterhood of women who are on the same journey as you. And you can follow us at SheCatalysts, that's plural, on IG, and we welcome you on our website as well. So thank you so much, and we'll see you next month.